Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible, so let's get into God's Word together. The book of Exodus, the 13th chapter, if you have a Bible with you. If you do not have a Bible, there are copies of them available on the table back there. Journeying so far through Exodus, we have been focusing on God who delivers, redeems, and dwells with his people. And so far we have seen God deliver his people, the people of Israel, out of the land of Egypt, freeing them from their bonds of slavery. We have seen him redeem the people of Israel to himself, a people for himself, to himself, through the blood of the Passover lamb. And as God now leads them out, is leading them out of Egypt, away from Pharaoh, we will begin to see God dwell with his people. I'm going to read this short passage, Exodus 13, 17 through 22. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea, and the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Edom on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Let's commit this time in prayer. God, we come before you and ask as we open your word, Father, that you would give us understanding and help us to know you in a greater way by the power of your spirit and according to the truth of your word. Father, we thank you for the lives of those who have lived for you that have been recorded down for us to learn from as your people. And we come to you this morning for understanding as your people. Father, I pray this morning that through the preaching and teaching of your word, through our fellowship, our prayer, our singing, God, I pray the sinner would be humbled to repentance and salvation. I pray that the holiness of your people would be proclaimed and lifted up and promoted among them. And I pray above all that Christ the Savior would be exalted. In his name we pray, amen. I have four thoughts for us to key in on from these short five verses. Not necessarily so much four points, but just four thoughts. And I tried to make them brief so you'd be able to write them down and grab them as I gave them. So four thoughts to grab a hold of as we work through this. One, we are dependent on God. I know that one comes as a bit of a news flash to us, but we are dependent on God. We have to see that. Two, God leads us in strange ways for our good and his glory. God leads us in strange ways for our good and his glory. Three, there is hope beyond the grave. Praise God. And lastly, we must look to Christ by day 
and by night. I uh, admitted to you already that I had a bit of a week and was behind in everything. I know you may think, what can a pastor get behind in? A lot. A pastor can get behind in a lot, just like anybody else who has responsibility before them, you can get behind. And I did this week, several things just being taken care of, being worked on, and I just simply got behind. Uh, Thursday night, I was, I was away, came home, and at nine o'clock at night, uh, all of my family had gone to bed and the house was quiet, but it was nine o'clock and I'd had coffee, so I wasn't really ready to go to bed. So I said to Jacqueline, I'm way behind in sermon preparation. And if any of you know anything about me, I take this responsibility very seriously. I'm going to spend a little bit of time tonight working on the sermon and try and catch up because I'm just behind in where I normally like to be. Okay, great. So I sat down at, uh, just after nine o'clock, read the text that I've been meditating on for quite some time, thinking on, praying through, but had put really nothing in order at all. And over the next three hours, God poured out this sermon to me. Uh, and it's what I'm going to give to you today. Praise God for the ability and sustaining me to do that. Now, uh, I did all this before before everything needed to change for our plans. This was all done by midnight Friday morning, and on Friday afternoon, everything started changing for the plans of our church for the next two Sundays. I give that simply as context so that we can see that as we work through the scripture, God is fortifying us in this life. All of this completed before midnight on Thursday night, and then things started changing in our own plans. We are dependent on God. God leads us in strange ways for for our good and his glory. There is hope beyond the grave, and we must look to Christ by day and by night. First, God leading the people out. This is a big moment. We've talked about everything that has led to this moment where God has delivered his people, redeemed his people, and brought them out of Egypt, away from Pharaoh, out of slavery. Naked to the cross I cling is the word of the old hymn. These people were slaves in Egypt with nothing, and now they have the silver and gold of the Egyptians. They have the new clothes of the Egyptians. And as we examined last week, upon their exodus... In the sight of all the Egyptians who were burying their dead, the people of Israel walked out triumphantly away from the bondage and the sin and the anguish that they had lived in as a people for hundreds of years. Who led them out? God. Verse 18. But God led the people. Verse 24. And the Lord went before them. This is important because what have we seen throughout the narrative of Exodus to this point? We've seen Moses and we've seen Aaron out in front of the people doing the signs, miraculous wonders, performing what God enables them to do. They are speaking to Pharaoh. They are speaking to Israel. They're out front as these spokespersons, figureheads, and it's very easy for us, and I have said in this series, and I will say again, Moses led the people. But behind Moses leading the people, before Moses leading the people, was God on high. God led the people out. Moses and Aaron, figureheads being used. Understand, they are not wielding God as an instrument. How often do we talk about having tools in our proverbial tool bag? Hope you have 
faith in Christ in your tool bag. Hope you have like, as if we are wielding the good things of God in our life. And at certain points we are demonstrating those things. May we never forget that we are the instrument. We are in God's tool bag and not vice versa. He is using us for his purpose. We are not using him for our purpose. We do well to note that though they were dependent on God for their freedom, as we've examined, Israel could not free themselves. For hundreds of years, they were in bondage. And though they multiplied, Exodus 1 says, though they grew exceedingly strong in the land, they could not overthrow Pharaoh and free themselves from the bondage of Egypt. So they are dependent on God for their freedom. And now they have it. This is important. And now they have their freedom, but they are still dependent on God to lead them. They are dependent on his leading away from captivity. Where to? To what he has promised. Moses isn't out in front saying, I got a GPS, follow me, everybody. They're, They're being led by God out of bondage and to the destination that God has prepared for them. Greatly mistaken, even false, is any doctrine that teaches anyone that their deliverance from bondage and their travel to eternity has anything to do with themselves. God delivers us. God frees us. God leads us after he has delivered us through this life to eternity. We are entirely dependent on God. God leads the way. The Israelites teach us this through their time in Egypt and their deliverance. We're dependent on God to lead us always. Christians have long sung Wonderful songs, leaning on the everlasting arms, just a closer walk with thee, I need thee every hour. Songs that have called Christians to focus on our dependence on God in our lives. The Israelites, in the very next chapter, are going to make the grave mistake of not depending on God. And great news for us, God provides for them in that moment. And then in a number of chapters later, they're going to again depend on themselves and not on God in their journey. We learn the reality of our dependence on God from Israel, but we also hear the warning of you never depend upon yourself. God leads the way and we are obedient on the way. That is God's order of deliverance and freedom. God leads us on the way and we are obedient on the way. Look at the route that they took. One, we are dependent on God. Two, God leads us in strange ways. Verse 17, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them, dot, dot, dot. The easiest, most convenient, most practical way that made sense to all of them. God did not lead them in the most practical, convenient way that made sense to them. If you've ever studied maps of the Old Testament uh, or just geography as a whole, I did not put maps on the screen. You're welcome. You can look in the back of your Bible. But if you can picture in your mind 
the region of the Middle East, which for everyone, for everyone old enough to know, we in America have spent a long time looking at the region of the Middle East on the news. So you should have a picture of this. There's the Mediterranean Sea, and I'll try and do it backwards if I can. There's the Mediterranean Sea, and on the border of the Mediterranean Sea is Israel, and around them is Jordan, Syria, Iraq, Iran. There's the Arabian Peninsula, Saudi Arabia, Yemen, all that. Egypt is down there at the north corner of Africa, at the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea, and connecting in a small area is the Sinai Peninsula, still called that to this day, I just don't believe the Bible. Why? There's a whole peninsula in the middle of the Middle East called the Sinai Peninsula. It's named after the Sinai, Mount Sinai. <clears throat> God could have, I love that Moses says he didn't, this is why, could have led them out of, it says they journeyed from Ramses. If you look on a map, you'll see Ramses kind of right there near the top of Egypt, below the Mediterranean Sea, and the promised land is like right here above them, and he could have just taken them do, let's get my directions right, east, yeah, could have just led them east right up into the promised land. And instead he did not. And if you're an Israelite that has been in Egypt for hundreds of years, and you know that Abraham was promised, and he's your father, a land up there. You're coming out of Egypt, and you might be paying attention to the fact that you're going due south and not due east to the promised land. We don't have any recording of them uh, questioning the, the, the compass direction. Read ahead in chapter 14. They question plenty. Don't worry. God doesn't lead them due east into the promised land. Why? He doesn't want them to see the Philistines and change their minds when they see war. Why does that matter? The next verse tells us they went up prepared for battle and there's 600,000 men on foot ready to do war. Not ready to do war. They've been slaves for hundreds of years. What else? God is gonna need to lead them in a way that will foster and create among them a greater dependence on him and less of a dependence on themselves. Not by the way of the land of the Philistines. Look at the Bible literally says, though it was near, for God said, Moses giving us a glimpse of, maybe there's a conversation, Moses writes this, maybe Moses and God have a conversation of, Lord, I will lead your people. I'm not the guy that I was on the mount doubting you and doubting me and all of that anymore. I see what you have done. I will follow you. But the promised land is that way. I know, Moses. I know that it is. However, lest the people see war and change their minds. Oh, there's going to be war. This isn't about God not wanting his people to not go to war. Remember that looming ahead of them is the promised land. And there are other nations there right now as they leave. And what's going to happen? The conquest of the land. We all struggle to read Joshua because it's full of nothing but bloodshed as they go into their land and what? Oh, we're going to talk a lot about this when we get to the latter part of Exodus and purify the land. It's hard for us to think about, but that's precisely what happens. They go in conquest of the land to purify the land that God has given to them. God does not want them to see war he wants them to rely on him more than themselves. And this is an argument that takes no time through all of scripture to see 
God wants our self-effectiveness to be dissolved before him. We cannot, on our own, do anything. He doesn't want them to see war and change their minds. Did you catch the end of the verse? And return to Egypt. Why would they do that? Why would they? Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. We didn't know anything. Whoa, 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 whoa. God, thanks for all that. We don't want to fight. We don't want to do that. Let's go back to Egypt. Remember what God said? I'm going to deliver them up out of Egypt, away from Egypt. I'm going to bring them to the land that I swore. They have a destination and they are not to return to Egypt. How could they change their minds and want to go back? How indeed, but that's precisely what they will do. God's delivered them. God has freed them. And in the very next chapter, we will read their words. It's because there were not enough graves in Egypt that you brought us out here to die. We could just go back there. They're wandering the wilderness and they're crying out for the leeks and the melons and the cucumbers of Egypt instead of the manna divinely and sovereignly provided to them from God. Despite the water pouring out from a rock, they long to return to Egypt. As soon as they encounter trouble, God is leading them away from that. His purpose is to lead them away from that and create. We can so easily see it, especially when we get into 14, we can so easily see God's purpose here is to create more of a dependence on him. Where does he lead them then? He does not lead them the way that makes the most sense. He leads them by the way of the wilderness where there's nothing. I have not been many places in my life, but the Arabian Peninsula is a place that I have been, and there is nothing. It's barren. There is nothing there. And so as they are led into the wilderness, they are led away from what is good, away from the promise of God, away from all that they've been looking forward to. Where does he lead them? By way of the wilderness, toward the Red Sea, right? If we've paid enough attention to our Bibles, we can already see God setting up his purpose to again deliver his people from what they will encounter. Gives us the details of where they went, the time length of the journey and all that, I don't know, but we'll make a comment on that in just a little bit. The route they took was a strange way, but it was the way that God led them for their good and for his glory. This should probably make us think, how often is the Lord leading us in a direction that makes no sense whatsoever? We don't understand it. We want to go the easy way, but God in his sovereign and infinite wisdom leads us by his path, whereby the destination is a greater confidence in him and preparedness for the work ahead of us. Look at who went with them. There's hope beyond the grave, that third thought that I gave you. It tells us that 600,000 men on foot besides women and children and a mixed multitude and very much livestock, both flocks and herds, all back in chapter 12, all that went with them. And the bones of a dead man from hundreds of years before. In verse 19, we see the quote from Joseph. Understand, 
this isn't, it's Christmas time, I get it. So we hear Joseph and we're automatically at a manger with Mary and angels and all that stuff. No, 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 not that Joseph, we know that. This is Joseph, the treasure of his father's eye. This is Joseph, the envy of his brother's jealousy. All of them. This is Joseph, sold by his brothers, away from them, claimed dead by, their, by them to their father, sold into slavery. This is Joseph in the employment of an Egyptian who is wrongly accused of sexually assaulting his master's wife and thrown in prison, Joseph. This is Joseph who interprets the dreams of the baker and the cupbearer. And he says, when you come to Pharaoh, would you remember me? Help me out here. I'm here wrongly. And they don't. This is Joseph who sits for seven years until Pharaoh has dreams and they call to him and the baker says, wait a minute, the cupbearer says, wait a minute, there's a guy who told me my dream once in prison. I think he can help you, Pharaoh. And he doesn't, comes out and tells Pharaoh his dreams and in the wisdom that God gave him, tells Pharaoh what to do to spare Egypt. How fascinating. To spare Egypt. Egypt existed for a purpose designed by God. And now all of us can come over to this side of the room or whatever and say, I really despise this world and what it stands for and why it exists. Well, God doesn't. God made it for a purpose. Our good and his glory. This is Joseph who rises to power and becomes the second ruler only to Pharaoh in all the land of Egypt. This is Joseph who brings his father's house, 70 persons in all, to live in Egypt. This is Joseph who said, in Genesis chapter 50, it is God who has done. Joseph quotes here, and if you want to turn back, you can to Genesis chapter 50 and see this quote Moses writing for us. God will surely visit you, he says, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. Genesis chapter 50, verses 24 and 25. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones bones from here. This is absolutely remarkable. And everyone's saying, pastor, why are we really focused? Is it really that remarkable? Do we really need to focus on it? Yeah, we absolutely do because there's hope beyond the grave. And that promise that Joseph is relying on is what came to Abraham back in Genesis 15. The Lord said to Abram, Genesis 15, 13 through 16, if you want to follow. The Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be greatly afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterward they shall come out with great possession. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. They shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Why is this remarkable? It's remarkable because Joseph on his deathbed remembered the promise of God to Abraham. And he didn't only remember the promise of God, he believed the promise of God to Abraham. I'm about to die. And after I'm dead, 
you'll take my bones up from this place to the land that God promised to our father Abraham. He remembered God's promise. He believed God's promise. And what is more, he looked forward to the fulfillment of God's promise beyond his life. He's about to die. I'm about to die. When I do, you take my bones up out of here because God will visit you. Joseph had hope beyond the grave that precisely what God said he would do is precisely what would happen. And if you really get into the nuts and bolts of what's going on here, Joseph calling for his bones to be taken from Egypt to the promised land is an absolute beautiful picture of resurrection from death to life. And we often read the Old Testament and sometimes we struggle to understand what does it all mean? It all means Jesus. He tells us that in Luke 24 twice. It's always pointing to the work of God and the promise of God and the fulfillment of that promise. And so Moses, very careful to remind us here in Exodus, when we went, we took the bones of Joseph. For Joseph made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry my bones with you. This is effectively, don't you let my bones stay in this hell. Don't you leave my bones in the grave. When God visits, you gather up my bones by whatever means they did. Maybe they put him on some kind of beer or some kind of lyre and just carried him as they went. You take my bones to the place that God promised to our people. And you put me to rest in a good land that God has given us. And it makes me wonder, do we ever just sit and ponder the hope that we have beyond the grave? Friends, brothers, sisters, if we spend enough time together in this life, people in this room are going to die and leave us. It's already happened. Are we anticipating the fulfillment of God's promise even if we don't see it happen in this life? Are we anticipating it happening in the next one because God said so? Surely, My beloved one will not see corruption. And because Christ conquered the grave and because Christ conquered death and because Christ conquered hell, those who through faith trust Jesus Christ also have hope beyond the grave. Remember God's promise, believe God's promise, and look forward to the fulfillment of God's promise. We're dependent on God. God leads us in strange ways for his good and our glory, for for our good and his glory. There's hope beyond the grave. And that last thought, we must look to Christ by day and by night. Look how God led them, verse 21. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. It's worth underlining that they might travel by day and by night. Pardon me, it's just too good. I didn't before and I'm going to right now. That they might travel by day and by night. God giving haste to his people. You're not stopping for a break. You're not stopping for a rest area along the way because the little ones have to go potty. 
I'm going to give you light by day and I'm going to give you light by night. Why? Because the deliverance of God happens quickly. You're going, you're leaving this place and nothing is going to stand in your way. Not darkness, cloud by day, fire by night, visible. This is the note that I made. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud, visible, right? Nighttime falls, you can't tell if it's cloudy or not. Like, I can't see the stars, there must be clouds up there, but you don't see them. It's dark, but they must be up there. In the daytime, a pillar of cloud. We're following that cloud. We don't have any description other than a pillar of cloud. I would, it's, it's worth looking at. Google, Israelites, pillar of cloud. And just look at artists' renderings of possibles, right? We have no idea. And a pillar of fire by night. Well, all of a sudden the cloud disappears and what happens? The fire lights up. Why? Because if you light a torch and you put it up, it's going to give light. It says a pillar of fire. It was visible to everyone on the journey. And it was going nowhere. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. This is the beginning of us seeing God dwelling with his people. He's been delivering, he's been redeeming, and now he's beginning to deliver them, to dwell with them. Pillar of cloud by day, visible to everyone. I started uh, to rabbit trail, and I had no idea that the end of Exodus chapter 13 was going to dump into the Christmas story of Christ's birth, but I should have had a clue because Christ tells us it's all about him. This cloud, pillar of cloud, did not, I'm, I'm emphasizing it on purpose, did not depart from before the people. We haven't gotten there. Exodus chapter 40, we're a ways from that yet. At the end of Exodus 40, they've built the tabernacle. And that's a long process and we'll examine it and we'll see what it means for us. And they put the tabernacle up. You know what it says? When the tabernacle was built and the cloud of God's glory filled the tabernacle. This cloud will cover and fill the tabernacle where God dwells with his people Israel as he leads them to the promised land. This cloud will fill the temple. You can read about it in 1 Kings chapter 8. After Solomon prays his prayer of dedication, O oh Lord, we've built this for you. This exists for your glory. And that all famous prayer from 2 Chronicles chapter 7, if my people who have, who, oh wow, that I can't remember, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and repent and seek my face, I will We've misused it and we've abused it, but that's right in Solomon's prayer of dedication. Do you know what the Bible says happened at the dedication when Solomon prayed that? It says that the cloud of the glory of God was so thick in that place as he came and dwelled with his people. It says the ministers could not stand and the people could not see for the cloud of God's glory was so thick as he dwelled with them. The same cloud will be removed in Ezekiel chapter 10. Because as much as we are learning about God dwelling with us, delivering and redeeming us, we are a fallen people. 
And Israel will rebel from God. They will turn from the ways of God. And in Ezekiel chapter 10, Ezekiel will prophesy about the cloud of God's glory being removed from among the people just as it was given. And if we stop at the cloud of God's glory being removed from his people, which ultimately means the dwelling of God among his people, a lot of confusion in the world about Israel and their place and alignment with prophecies and the Old Testament and the New Testament. God removing his glory from ethnic, physical Israel. And then what? Behold, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God's glory removed, what do we do? His glory removed and then given to everyone. God's glory is not just for an ethnic people. It is for his people trapped in bondage. His people enslaved in Egypt. His people awaiting deliverance at his word by his promise to a greater promised land led by a greater Moses, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the true and better Adam, the great and sure fulfillment of the law, the price of our redemption, a foretaste of deliverance. God delivers, God redeems, and God dwells with his people through the work and person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we are now not a people awaiting a cloud to fall. This is grossly represented in churches around our country. I wish it wasn't. It's false. It should be shut down. There are churches that will produce clouds among them. I'm not talking about fog machines and smoke stuff. No, I'm talking about gross churches perverting God's word and dropping things from the ceiling and saying, look at the glory of God. Gross. The glory of God is so much greater and it dwells within us so that we might become the righteousness of God, reflecting God's glory to the world. Do you understand that through faith in Jesus Christ, we are the cloud of glory to the world? Look what Jesus says. Oh, it's just, it's absolutely phenomenal that Jesus would say in his trial before he's crucified, the high priest would say, tell us now, are you the son of God? And wow, is his answer awesome. I am. You've said it. And from now on, oh my goodness, we should grab a hold of it. And from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming uh, in the clouds of heaven. All of a sudden, Hebrews chapter 12 means something different for us, doesn't it? Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, just as the pillar of fire was seen by all leading the people, the cloud and the fire before them, their eyes fixed on it. The Bible will tell us that when the cloud settled, the people settled. And when the cloud lifted, the people moved. They knew we're watching that cloud. And when it settles, we're stopping. 
And when it lifts, we're packing and we're going because we are following. Our eyes are fixed on a God who has delivered us, a God who has redeemed us, and we are not looking at anything else. We'll hear across the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, the Torah, the five books of Moses. We'll hear, do not turn to the right or the left. Look straight. Look to God. Look to me. Obey my word, God says. Their eyes fixed on the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire to lead them. I don't think they had questions about the directions they were going. I think we question that because we understand in our lives that God doesn't always lead us in directions that we want to go. I think the people of Israel simply looked at the cloud and looked at the fire and said, we're following that. No, it doesn't make sense. We know it's that way, but that's what we're following right there. That's it. That's all we're doing. John in Revelation chapter 1 verse 7. Listen, we're here today because in some form or another, all of us in this room are attempting to lift our eyes to the Lord Jesus Christ and follow him. If you weren't doing that, you wouldn't be here unless you were sick or out of town or something like that. The only reason that the people of God gather together with the people of God is to look to a perfect savior and worship him. We are to be doing that. The world is not doing that. We've talked about it before. If, if everyone was doing this, we wouldn't have a big enough building. But not everyone's doing this but one day everyone will. Revelation chapter one, verse seven, John wrote, behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. You know what that means? All the tribes of the earth? It means all those who are not God's people. Because God's people, when they look at and see the Lord Jesus Christ coming in the clouds of glory, oh, we're putting on new clothes and we're holding gold and we're holding silver and we're walking with our head held high in triumph because our great king has delivered, redeemed, and is dwelling with us. And what does the Bible say? Our dwelling will be with God. and He will be our God and we will be his people. People of God don't wail on account of the coming of Christ in the clouds of glory. They rejoice. We are dependent on God. God leads us in strange ways for our good and his glory. There's hope beyond the grave. And we must look to Christ by day and by night to have this question. Has God delivered you? Are you redeemed? Does God dwell in you? Through faith in Jesus Christ, are you, am I, are we looking to Christ to lead us? Are we dependent on the leading of God in all things? We prayed confessing the sin of pride. The great conflict for us comes in when we want to go our own direction and not follow God's direction. It's going to happen for the Israelites. It happens to us. May we be a people that are continually trusting, relying, depending on, following, anticipating, looking to what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. If you're here today, and many of you are here week after week, month after month, year after year, I believe I know your profession of faith, but I don't know the heart only God does. Are you trusting in Jesus Christ this hour? Are you saved 
by the grace of God, according to his mercy, through faith in the Savior, Jesus Christ. If you are uncertain of that, the word of God says to you, repent and believe the gospel, that a sinless Savior died so your sinful soul could be counted free. Trust Christ today. Begin looking to the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire, and have the glory of God dwell in you. Father, we come to you today. I thank you for your word. It's been such a help to me this week. Father, you are good. I pray, Father, that you would help us to recognize and understand our utter dependence upon you. I pray you would help us to not live for perfection, but that we will simply live faith-filled in you. Father, that we will depend on you. Father, we will strive after you, dependent on your goodness to us. Whether that mean good times or trial in this life, we will trust and depend on you. Father, I pray, though you may lead us in strange ways, help us to understand, God, that your leading is for our good and your glory, even if that means harm to us in this life. Even if we don't like it, if it's not what we prefer, your purpose is not our purpose. You've told us, my thoughts, my ways, they are not your thoughts or ways. So Father, help us to rely upon you when you lead us in strange ways to simply trust that you are leading. Father, help us to look forward with anticipation to the hope that we have beyond the grave. That because all your promises are yes and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ, we will, as Joseph knew, our bones will be delivered if we pass from this life. And if you give us life until you return, we will be led out by you from this bondage. And the bones of those who have gone before us will be carried up by you to dwell together for eternity with you. Father, help us to look to you in all things, to fix our eyes on Jesus the author, the perfecter, the hope, to trust always. Strengthen us. God, be with us today as we go about the lives you have blessed us with, as we witness and testify, as we rest and reflect, as we prepare for a busy week and a busy holiday season. Father, may we be dependent on you to lead us in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions about anything you just heard or if we can pray for you, please contact us at info at Until next time, stay in God's word.